And I'm glad you bring that up. I'm glad you bring that All up. All right, through these two fists. Well, so I guess there's two ways out. Mm, that's the only way out for you, bud. I'm going to quit. Yeah. With, through these two fists. Yeah, okay. Through these two soft, soft fists. Through these two fists that have been just forged in the iron of the gym. Forged in a... Forged in Plato. Yas. So, um, one way out. One way out. I ran um, my my friendly neighborhood marathon this past weekend. I've been training for it for months and months, like I do every year. And, you know, this is November as we're recording this. This is mid-November. The race occurred. And look, we live in the South, I think, for sure. But we're certainly not as far South as South goes. And like right now, today, Monday, as we're recording this, I mean, I'm double layered up. I got pants on. It's chilly out. It's chilly out. Um, Saturday, day of the race. Hottest it's been on that calendar day in 13 years. Very hot. Very humid. I got sunburn in the middle of November. Could fool me. Didn't think that was going to happen on that day. Um, very quickly became <laughs> apparent that whatever goals I had for this race were were not in the in the picture. Had to drastically kind of uh, reevaluate what my performance would be for this race. And buddy, let me tell you, what it's a, it's a downhill. You run down a a decent you know decline to get to that finish line. That's what that's what I've heard about when you hit your midlife crisis. It's all downhill from the here. Yep. And screaming, screaming at the top of my lungs through that finish line. Screaming. Really? One way out. One way out. One way out. <laughs> one way out. <laughs> that's that's weird because I was talking to Mrs. Colombo and she said she kept saying um, that you were saying nobody's listening <laughs> as you were talking. <laughs> He just kept talking. No, that was, that was what I said during our wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's listening. Hello. <laughs> no listening to me. And she was like, no, there's only one way out. You marry me or you die. There you go. Um, okay. So did you wait? So did you horrible beat your time? race? Hmm? Okay. Horrible race. I did. A, I mean, I did. A, I, I didn't do as bad as some folks. Everyone I know had a horrible day. It was it was I mean, it was, it was super, you know, you can train all you want, but you can't you can't plan for just the uh, the weather to all of a sudden flip to six months from what it should be. You know, um, friends of the friend of the show, friend of the show ran it. And he had a tough time. And, you know, a lot of the folks I know who I trained with had a, had a tough time. But um i was like very early on when it became clear that it was going to be a long day i was like when i hit that finish line i'm gonna be screaming one way out <laughs> and i that was my little carrot that i had nobody's listening forward. <laughs> one way out 
because uh, that was what, like, you know, it was like it ceased to be a race, and it was just like this is just a journey to the end. Eventually, I will get to the end of this. That's all this is anymore. Is just being done. One way Can you out. Imagine way out. if your marathon came out the week of Narkina Five. Like that would have made no sense. Narkina Five. <laughs> Narkina Five. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. It's a pri- it was... it's a prison. It's a prison. You'll get it. Well, Narkeena, okay. Narkeena so what you missed? Five. I did. I did. Um, I did. I screamed one way out, one way out. But I also did the Talakon, uh salute from Wakanda Forever. I was doing both of those things through the finish line. It was very topical. Oh, okay. What's the? Wait, wait. That's the Talak the Talakon salute. Okay. I was like, like the little clam hands. Um, little shark yeah. hands, I guess. Whatever you want to call it, Papa Shark. It, the people in the Avatar are doing the same thing, but they do like a push thing. Uh, Long hair. Boy, boy, do I have some takes about that movie. I got to tell you this story, buddy. Yes, uh-huh. this is Star Wars podcast is Diego Boys, Poe Boys subsidiary. I'm Josh. It's Pete. Uh, we're kind of forever. You and I both went Thursday night, correct? Correct. Yes. I'm sitting so. I went to a theater kind of out in the burbs. We have some friends that move further out into the burbs, but they to the burbs. They live near a really nice theater, and they really wanted to see it in 2D IMAX. And I was like, "Well, look, I don't want to see it in 3D, but I'll I'll see it in 2D IMAX, sure." I'm glad I did. It was it was the sound was much better in their theater, and I gotta say, I think Kind of Forever was like a movie to see in theaters. It was there were parts of it where it was like. A very like emotional, visual, sonic climax all at once. And the right. fact that the sound was so good and so loud really helped you kind of get immersed in the emotion of what was going on. But, you know, I bought the tickets and there were four of us. And I was like, well, you know, whatever. I'll sit next to the stranger. Or I'll, let, I'll let my buddies um, sit on next to each other. And the stranger happened to be like a child. Which is like, right. cool. I mean, look, I'm not complaining. Like, honestly, it was cool watching a movie next to, like, I, mean, I don't know, maybe they were, like, eight, maybe? I don't know. And, uh, like, they had some big reactions to a lot of the stuff during the movie. That was very fun to see. And, like, they were afraid at parts. And they were, you know. So I'm not I'm not complaining about this, but right? But I don't know about what trailers you got. We got a Shazam trailer before the movie. Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Sure. This kid's watching this Shazam trailer. They're losing it. They're loving this trailer. <laughs> trailer for the Shaz- <laughs> trailer for Shazam ends. This kid dabs <laughs> in their seats. <laughs> oh man, that's what the movie's made for too. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was just like, wow, wow. <laughs> I am. I am no longer. I am no longer the future. I am the present. This is the future. This young person here dabbing through the Shazam Fury of the Gods trailer is the future. Meanwhile, I'm over here just licking my lips to Jonathan Majors in the Creed 3 trailer. No big deal. You uh, should have asked him what he thought about Black Adam. That That was a determination of the future. That's one of those things of like, you know, you and I, we've talked on the pod a bunch about how we both liked episode one. Spoilers, mm-hmm. we like episode one. But that was a thing kids really liked. Yeah, um, yeah, and we were. That's you know, a good point. We were, were, we were children. So I would, I would be curious. Not that you should be talking to eight, nine-year-old kids, um, in in dark movie theaters, but I would be curious to see. Pete, you make a very good point, and I had never thought about it through that lens because mm-hmm. when we were growing up, superhero movies weren't a thing. No, they weren't. 
And I, but I guess I could the same could be said for the original Star Wars generation, right? Like they were they didn't have a. I mean, there were analogs for sure, but nothing as like one to one as you know another science fiction epic film series that they could compare it to. And so superhero movies, I'm like, oh yeah, from my youth, like I, yeah, I never thought of it as like something that would be passed on to the next generation. And I never because it's for some, a lot of you know like. I feel like I'm not being outrageous to say the youth's opinion of like Morbius probably doesn't matter because it just seems like Morbius is like oh it's terrible right but a movie but like Black the Adam, social media is so good yeah so good like... I mean I've, I've sent you a couple of those yeah <laughs> my my marriage was on the ropes but we watched Morbius and we're five years strong now. <laughs> <laughs> But oh, but a, mo- a movie like Black Adam, I do you know I do want like I I've never thought of it through that lens of because I me mean, like look I will admit even as a nine year old seeing Phantom Menace something did feel amiss to me but I had a good time in the theaters now episode two and episode three unironically lost my mind at those movies like episode two I had a time of my freaking life and our recording cut out and i may or may not have turned off of my face or something i'm not sure what happened there well i, I think it was because um anchor knows is... that we shouldn't be talking about the black adam movie and that my take was stupid and i didn't have anywhere to go with it <laughs> i actually yes i i have no follow up uh or expl- you hit it on the head no i mm-hmm. i would say um it's cool it's cool seeing movies with a wide variety of age groups um yes yes you and i see absolutely. movies in a different audience unless the movie is really good um and by that i mean like something that's really into the fandom so like you know i saw episode nine on like four or five times so i saw it with different audiences but that mm-hmm. opening night audience you know that's an audience people don't yeah. typically go, to, go to movies on thursdays um sometimes they like give you something special you get to see it before everybody else because all the news they have those um stop orders or whatever so you don't like get spoiled until what is it like friday is when those things start coming out oh yes and everyone listens to that right right right. i mean for the first time i -hmm. saw there was a dude in our theater for wakanda forever filming scenes on their phone oh that's awesome was it that's awesome that's your take that's awesome yeah i think it's fine Oh my gosh! You, you gotta make and a I buck. Are, you gotta make you a living. You and I are different people. You don't. You and you I are different people. You don't uh, live for work. You work to live. So if he's out there getting a buck, it's, don't that's make fine. Don't let don't let make a living get a live. Make a life. Uh, uh, well, there's only one way out, and we gotta keep. We, we gotta out, finish. The, out, we gotta yeah. finish this episode. But I, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. It's yeah, and sitting next to a a, a youngin. It it does just make you think about like what movies are gonna have like twentieth anniversary edition sixteen K Blu rays coming out because they become classics that I'm like oh that movie oh that's mm. so we'll, well see we'll that see. movie's dark too Wakanda you know, Forever yeah it, yeah that was Miss Columbo's take was like this was not a fun movie <laughs> I was like I don't know why you thought it would be yeah but she was like yeah this was like a really dour kind of bummer of a movie i don't know i'm not that you know we're not a we're not a marvel podcast but i will say like the more i think about that movie the more i like it and it feels like the most direct 
like there's so little between like i feel like the emotion behind the movie and the movie like if it feels like very raw for a marvel movie it feels like an emotional response to something that is still being processed like there's no hindsight for that movie that movie is this is what we're feeling here and now i don't have years and years to look back on what i'm feeling to like say something I don't, you know, I, I say something like, like thought of, like intellectual about it. I can only say the feeling of it right now because I'm in it still right now as this movie's being made. I don't know. It was really, I, I really like, I mean, based on Letterboxd, it seems like you and I have pretty similar opinions of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I would, I would say I'm really looking forward. Like, I, as soon as the movie ended, and I do this once in a while where I'll look at the phase, I think they're in like phase five now. I this was the it. end of phase four, I believe. Oh, I think. interesting. I think. Okay. I'm pretty sure. So, Which is weird, because then that would make the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special at the beginning of phase five? Yeah. Well, I, I, either way, I only looked at it because I want to see where Dominique Thorne um, shows up. And she's the actress. This is um, Riri Williams' character. Riri Williams, Williams, yeah, the actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ironheart show. Yeah, she was great. Um, yeah, and that character's super cool. I mean, that's one of the. It's like they've made enough Marvel things that they're finally getting into characters that came into being since I've read comics, which was right. only out of college. And yeah, Riri Williams is you know Brian Michael Bendis is the guy. He wrote Miles Morales, Jessica Jones. Yeah, Riri Williams. He's. He's made a lot of very cool characters. Yeah, and I and I. Well, how how am I going to phrase this? The the actors they've been the actresses they've been bringing in, um, with with America Chavez, Miss Marvel, um, and now Ironheart. All of them are so good. And yeah, I mean, Miss Marvel's coming out in the park. summer, um, I believe next year. Oh, so the the Marvels, you mean? Yeah, the, the Marvels. Yeah, I think yeah. it's in March or May. Yeah, yeah. It switched like release dates with Ant Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's coming out next year, which is going to be. Um, I haven't. I mean, they haven't shown anything for it yeah, from that show. You know, that the addition of that's going to be insane, um, insanely good. But um, yeah, I, I we can talk. We'll we'll talk off mic. My my. Oh, my, we definitely will. My um. You gave it a five. I gave it a four and a half. I just thought that the scope was a little off, but like, that's that's pretty much it. And oh yeah, there's it's it's one of those things because you and I, you rate every movie on Letterbox. I either mm-hmm. don't give a rating or I give five stars, and I only give five stars to the top ten percent of movies I've seen. So there's like a quota. Like I can only give five stars so much. Right, but a lot of it is kind of just based on, you know, Leonard Moulton, who did the Leonard Moulton movie guide, and he's like a famed film critic. He actually is the guy who does the interviews with George Lucas on the VHS for the special editions, I think. Mm-hmm. But there's there's VHSs of Star Wars they release in the '90s where it's it's a sit down between Leonard Moulton and George Lucas. Uh, he had a podcast for a little while. I don't remember the name of it, but in that he said that his his reviews were very largely based on how he felt walking out of the theater. You know, he went to go see a movie, he walked out of the movie, and how was he feeling walking out of the movie? And that factored in largely. And I don't subscribe to that so much because I think... I 100% do. Well, I, you're right. The, I, I think sometimes 
there are so many movies that I learned to love so much after mm-hmm. watching them a second time that I know that I can only put, I, I take my initial gut reaction with a grain of salt because I think, and then I'm sure I've said this to you, we, you and I have talked about this a bunch, but I feel like the first time you watch a movie, particularly one of these big franchise movies that has like canon and mythos that it has to walk around, it tends to be like, what did this movie do? Like Last Jedi is the perfect example of what has this movie done? And that's kind of what you're taking away from your first screening and your first reaction. But when you watch it again, it sort of becomes more about, well, how well did it do what it did? Because it's like, what decisions are they going to make? You don't know. But after you know what decisions they made and you look back on it, it's sort of like, well, did they did they do their math to make everything add up in terms of the decisions they made? And how well does it do what it did? And yeah, but I yeah, I don't know. I just like I said, the 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 rawness of that movie and the, the this idea that there's this like sprawling massive blockbuster that despite like millions and millions and millions of dollars and who knows how much people power and like post-production and production design and all this stuff that went into it still feels like kind of a raw nerve and like i don't know that's just super impressive to me i can't think of another I'm struggling to think of another huge blockbuster that feels so raw in terms of the emotion of it and like what it's grappling with emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I ascribe to the critic you were talking about because the, the one that pops up in my head is um, Captain Marvel because I mm-hmm. gave that five, and on, on rewatch, I have not, I would not have given that five stars. Um, but just like the emotion of it, the moment in time, mm-hmm. um, I, I really think seeing one of the things I love about and all I love about Thursday movies is they're always packed. Yeah, and you kind of get you get everybody who's a huge fan or is invested in it, and that really um, will change the score as well for sure. And so well, you've got two tabs I need to open now. But go ahead. What were you saying? Well, I I was gonna say um, that's I mean that's the big news that I'm sure every Star Wars fan is watching. What Wakanda Forever? Maybe. I I the the Star Wars thing I did this week, and I'll I'll ask you in a second, Josh. I haven't really done much. I watched. There's this like um, anime sketch drawing of the Grogu Studio and Ghibli Dust, one, and yeah, Dust dust bunnies Grogu and... and dust bunnies or something i yeah. guess it's for like the third anniversary of the mandalorian coming out or something i have not watched it yet it is out i have not watched it and stayed awake so how long is it it's only three minutes but i i oh, was wow. i was very drowsy so mean of you no i again i if you i have trouble sleeping so if if something can get me to fall asleep all the better i'm oh I'm so a that's fan. a five out of five for you that's a five out of five Am I going to watch it again? Yes, when I need to fall asleep. But um, how about you? What's what Star Warsing did you do this week? Uh, like I said, I screamed one way out at the top of my lungs. Um, I have started, you know, after the after the marathon each year, I usually take like a week off of running and right. get a little bit lazy and eat some like crappy food. And I tend to watch more movies and sit on the couch more often. So I have, as of like an hour ago, I finally cracked open the, Star Wars Archives, 1999 to 2005, the big giant 
I don't know, 20 pound coffee table book about the making of the prequel trilogy. And I do intend to read, you know, chapter by chapter and watch the movies as I go along. Mm-hmm. Um, so there'll definitely be some Star Warsing in my future. Um, but I'm going to push back anyway. It's bad podcasting. I'm going to go back to what we were talking about before because it has some tabs I did want to open. Let's talk, let's talk about these opening night crowds real quick is first because I missed out. I haven't been to a proper opening night screening like where I timed it just right that I was with like the the people that are foaming at the mouse to watch the movie since right. Endgame, which was awesome. But I missed out on it because friend of the show, Money Man Cody, couldn't make it to Spider-Man on time. So he and I ended up going pretty much him and I ended up going Friday during the day. So technically the day came out, but like Friday during the day, nobody's going right. And then, yep. So for what kind of forever, we went to the 630 showing, which I would argue is too early. Mm -hmm. I think you have to hit like nine o'clock. I think nine. Yeah, it's it's sometime after six thirty or seven because I think people are still coming back from work and eating dinner first. I think six thirty is too early. So like, there was some applause for some big moments and stuff during Wakanda Forever, but not like I had hoped. And I think if I had gone to a later showing, some of the there were some moments that really would have popped off uh, would... in a major way. I saw it at eight, and granted, that I think that's better. I I we didn't even have a full crowd, um, but also I, I saw it did either. I saw it in three D, and they messed up the projector, oh, so right. they had to um, restart the movie like six seven minutes in. I'd say the only moment that got um, a huge applause was the bald headed demon joke, and then yeah. that was that was that was pretty much it. Which at this point I'm such a, I Winston Duke's probably like Dude, in my top five. He's so good. I watched yeah. I watched the original Black Panther before like during the day before going to the movie Thursday evening. And my big takeaway from the first Black Panther was I can't wait to see Winston Duke again. He's so good. <laughs> he's so good. Uh, yeah, he's great. Um. I mean, Pardon, I just had an alarm going off on my phone because I have jury duty this month. Uh, you were saying? Oh, I I mean, I, I, I haven't really talked on the pod about this, but um, Winston Duke, he he made this movie with Zazie Beetz. I got to watch called, it still. I was call, just wondering what the name of it was. Called Nine Days. Okay. That was, that was my best movie of 2021. Yeah, I'm going to watch far. that. I'm yeah, definitely going to so watch good. it on your recommendation. He's Yeah, he's great. He's great. Yeah. Um. Interesting. So here's here's my other tab I did want to open on this, which is connecting kind of Wakanda forever back to Star Wars, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, maybe like not the most tactful or tasteful conversation to have, but I don't think it's entirely baseless to have this conversation, which is I do think Wakanda forever and Rise of Skywalker can be compared because they are both movies that grapple with the loss of a major presence. Oh, Rise of Skywalker very much has to cope with losing Carrie Fisher in the same way that Wakanda forever has to, has to cope with losing Chadwick Boseman. Um, and I, 
I think it's 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 interesting to compare and contrast the two. And I haven't done all my intellectual leg work comparing them, but I, I mean, I do think kind of, kind of, I feel like kind of inarguably what kind of forever does a better job of it. I a hundred percent agree. Uh, you know, and there's some, there's obviously it's not a one for one. I mean, Chadwick Boseman was the guy, you know, number one on the call sheet or however you want to put it, you know, so that that's obviously a, a bigger hole, but, I, you know, when I look at Rise of Skywalker in hindsight, I, I do feel like I, I sometimes I wonder how, how like they, they maybe honored the, the strategy they took to honor Carrie Fisher in that movie perhaps hobbled them a little bit. And, you know, with, with Wakanda Forever, I don't think it's a spoiler to say like they did not look through the reels for b-roll footage of chadwick boseman to include him in any way in that movie you know that movie specifically dealt that movie is about chadwick boseman passing away and and also there's moments where you could have easily included him sure like there's a beach scene there's Mm -hmm. um a spirit world scene not to spoil a bunch of stuff but you could have easily included him in fact, for some of them, I you know would have preferred it, but disagree. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, and I don't. I don't think it was ever on the table. I. I, I there's this no. thing about Star Wars of you can't just wipe the character off without explaining and having a scene for it. But I, they did have a scene for it though, and Wakanda Forever. Again, we're not we're not trying to spoil this movie or whatever. But I just I. I think Wakanda Forever dealt with it very, you know, beautifully. I mean, you know, again, the rawness of that movie is just, you know, I feel like the people involved with that movie are still processing that loss. And the fact that they are still in the process of that grief rings through in that movie. And I think they maybe they just I don't know. They took they took a different route with it for Rise of Skywalker and it, it was less effective. Uh, and I, I do wonder what would have maybe been different if they had um, gone more in line with what Wakanda Forever did. But I also kind of feel like a jerk for bringing it up because who am I to say anything about how, you know, uh, a director or, a, you know, crew member on a movie decides to process the passing of, of a, you know, fellow crew member. But I think that Rise of Skywalker and Wakanda Forever do distinctly have DNA in common because of that. Uh, I didn't even I didn't even see where you're going with that. But that makes yeah. I mean, it's it's also how much of <clears throat> the negative aspects of Rise of Skywalker factor into Wakanda Forever. Like, was did Ryan Coogler see? or did that like kind of phase into any of that yeah i don't know i don't know because there is you know i i asked you after i saw saw that movie um thinking that there's not gonna be a black panther 3 for a while it's kind of like what stories are are out there for them to do and you were telling me that there's a ton of a ton of areas they can go with the black Panther, black panther franchise and so there is a lot more freedom in that, but I mean, the same thing can be said for Star Wars because all of it is creating something new. There's no, you know, source material of different storylines that, 
you know, aren't part of the cinematic universe. Yeah. Well, that was a pretty good segment one, I feel like. That was like a better segment one than we've had in a while. Yeah. And um, that's also... We've... This is... We should do double takes more often. A Marvel often. podcast instead of a source podcast? <laughs> there's only Sorry, one what way you out. Sorry, there's only one way out. Oh, yeah. Right. There's only, Me quit. there's only one way out through these well-maintained fists of fury. So What's the last time in... you punched something? Anything, any an object, like anything. I don't even know. I can't even think of it. It's probably like a laptop. Punched a laptop? Who wouldn't? Who in the right mind would do that? I definitely have broken a laptop before. Uh, yeah, I would never do that. I actually, off my. You're off a my slave head. to the machine. I'm like me. Oh, I actually been looking at getting more machines. I so actually, right. I actually rage against the machine. Ooh, that that's that's a that's one of those new bands I've been listening to, Rage Against the Machine. They got some stuff. Oh, you hear about them on TikTok? Yeah. Oh, I got some. You know, I'm a big heavy metal guy, so right, right, uh, right. Rage Against the Machine is right up my alley. Remind me to tell you my uh, my Polyphia scheme. And here's the thing: there's only one way out. Play it how you want, but I'm gonna assume I'm already dead, and I'm gonna take it from there. I'm gonna oh assume this gosh. podcast is dead. And I'm just going to keep going as if nobody's listening and there's one way out. Speaking of, and going back to this marathon, there was some guy I was running near for a while and they had a shirt that said, there's only one, like, I'm paraphrasing here largely, but it's like the best pace is a suicide pace or there's only one pace, suicide pace, and today is a good day to die. Which I'm like, Dude, how have you, how have you not met that person before? You're way it's a it's like don't get me wrong, it's like a long ride, but like we're all just kind of out here running, like it's okay, right? Like that's fine. And then my buddy I was running with ended up running near that guy for a while, and then I ended up reconnecting with him. You kind of ebb and flow with these things, and you're near people, and they go ahead of you, you go ahead of them, or whatever. And I meet up back with my buddy, and he's like, "Yeah, that guy with the suicide shirt." Whatever. I was talking to him, and he was like, "I was supposed to run this race like four years ago, and I was training for it." And I got hit by a car going 50 miles an hour. Oof. Yeah. So, I don't know. One way out, suicide pace, you know. Good for him. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. Good for him. Well, so this episode is episode 10. Of titled, 12. Um, of Home Star stretch. Wars, Star Wars Andor. Um, for those of you that can't um, take social cues, the title of the episode is One Way Out. And this is directed by Toby Haynes, who is... I mean, I assume all these people are directing, like, three episodes. Seems like it. And he is... direct. Oh, he's directed a... All right, he's directed Casa. He's directed a bunch of them. Oh, so he directed... The, did he direct the first three? He directed... He directed um, the first three... He's directed six. Oh, Casa, wow. that would be me, Reckoning. Narquina 5, Nobody's Listening, One Way Out. Okay. Yeah. So that I would say the the last three that he did, I mean the 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 heist last episode of the heist was really good, but kind of yeah the slow going up because there's a there's a bunch of people I know that like Andor is too slow for them because yeah. you really can't get. I mean episode six is when it really picks up, but. That's just also kind of ridiculous to kind of tell somebody, 
you have to go through five episodes before there's a real payoff. And, the, and boy, there is a, there's a payoff for sure. Oh, it's 100%. so good. There's huge payoff. It is one of these things where, like, I mean, look, I, this episode more than ever, I'm tripling, quadrupling down on my take that this is my favorite live action Star Wars show. But it is one of those strange cases where this does really feel like the middle ground between film and TV in terms of releases, where. I do wonder, like, it would have been so strange to do and people would have been side-eyeing it for sure, but, like, what what would this show's reception have been if in lieu of being 12 episodes, it was, like, Andor is going to be four movies and we're going to release them, like, one a month over the course of four months. And it was just, like, arc, 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 arc. Instead of weekly. And you just had this 90 minute chunk to sit down with because yes, those like those first two episodes of Andor are slow burn, but that third episode pays off so well. And if you're watching it like a movie or, you know, like a longer unit with the expectations that you would bring to a movie where it's like, yeah, the big part comes at the end, you know, versus the expectations you bring to a TV show where it's like, Oh, it's going to have some sort of climactic ending, not just a guy at a cubicle staring into space. That's not an ending. I wonder what kind of conversations would the, you know, would the populace be having about this show? If it, if it had been, would it be like, oh, wow, this is, this is transcending and this is totally different. And wow, this, this, is the, this is the wave of the future is like mini movies and yada, yada, or, you know, or would people still not like it and say it's too slow? I don't know. I mean, we're in this binge culture, so it's like functionally the same thing anyway. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't, I, the, I don't really, I, I haven't really talked to anybody about Andor. People I have like... one other, one other friend that I talked to about Andor besides you. Yeah, I would and, say, and I'll say this: mm-hmm. he loves it. Oh, it's really good. I would just say I talked to more people about the Obi Wan show than I did about Andor. Um, and that might be because of Ian McGregor and Hayden Christensen, and you know bigger names. But I mean, this show is so good. I but I get it. Yeah, I I I, so I get good. it. I I honestly I think it's a fair assessment that it really doesn't pick up in, until episode six. Um, episode th- three is fine, but like episode six on is so good. So that is true. That is true. Yeah, episode three is like good coming after one and two. Episode six is incredible coming after four and five. But at every from episode six on every week, I've been losing my mind at this show. And I mean, look, I just like this week with one way out. I it was my flight or fight instinct was engaged for half an hour. I mean, I can't I can't think of the last time. Like, the last time I had that immediate reaction to Star Wars was probably, like, opening night at uh, Force Awakens. And, I mean, I love Rogue One, but Rogue One Rogue One was a movie that grew on me. Rogue One was a movie that grew on me, but, like, my immediate response, I mean, because I just came into this episode, like, I hit play on this episode nervously. Like, the, the, the only thing I can think to compare it to 
is the Thor comic book that uh, the most recent Thor movie was based on. Um, Love and Thunder. Right. It was based on a run of Thor comics by a writer, Jason Aaron. And there's an arc in there called Death of a Mighty Thor, wherein Jane Foster is, is a Thor. And there is this huge impending force that and it's it's like she has to make a decision like be thor and fight and die or be safe and hope that you heal from your malady which is that's not a one for one for the movie i don't feel like that's a spoiler for the movie just in the comics that's the scenario and i remember getting that issue on stan's day came out and like being nervous to open it and hesitating to turn the pages because i was so like nervous and cringing about where the story might go and that was how i felt with this like i hit play on this episode and was just immediately all nerves i mean i and i can't because i uh, watching this episode i forget this is star wars this is not this is not star wars anymore when i'm watching this episode i there's no franchise involved there's no sci-fi involved i'm seeing diego luna i'm seeing andy circus i'm seeing all these men in this prison like I like, oh man, I would love to hear from anyone in that cast in the in the in the escape in this episode. I can't like I, I part of me wonders, is this the easiest acting gig you've ever had? Because I feel like just me on my couch looking at the scope of it and the amount of people that are caught up in this emotion, I I mean they all just I feel like if you're surrounded with that energy. You just like let it take you, man. You just let it take you and go for it and run up those stairs and scream one way out. And it just, it just like, you just get possessed by that energy. I don't know, man. This is, this is what an app. Andy Circus, I'm telling you, man, he's, he's going to get an Emmy nomination for guest star. I'm calling it. Well, I, so I was rewatching it um, before we started, which is why I was a little late. And I complete the Andy Circus. Um, the Diego Luna performances were so good. I completely forgot about the child marriage scene in this episode. The checking yeah. in on Andor's on um Kaz's mom. Child courtship. Child courtship. Oh, boundaries are so refreshing. <laughs> I love the boundaries. What did I bring my son for your thirteen-year-old daughter? I was kind of hoping that Goon would be like, I don't know somebody i recognized but oh i mean there's also if we go to the isb and uh mira that there's like they're setting up a trap for a rebel who's we we don't we've never seen we just hear yeah, his name yeah i forgot his name again yeah i i had it i had it up but who cares no um, yeah long hair don't care well, and that'll um, be pope that's probably 2024 long hair don't care <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you know, Josh 2023 did... is spoken for. <laughs> Let's just say 2023 is definitively spoken for. Yeah, you're really gonna like it. You're gonna like it a lot, listeners. Um, well, no, yeah, you like I, it or not. I and he, oh, and the Luthan stuff, like that was also chilling. But uh, yeah, honestly, yeah. completely forgot about all of it, and I was just thinking about the Cassian stuff, right? Because they did such a good job with it. They did. I, and... I mean, my, I think here's my just up front. My only like note, I guess, would be like, 
where we leave Andy Circus, where we leave keto, um, keto lawyer seems kind of unceremonious. Like it's just like, boom, cut. No, no, no resolution there. Um, but then that also kind of seems like that was Cassian's experience. Like he didn't want to leave it there either, but he got shoved off and he had to go and, and you can't climb back up. That's just how it's going to be. But I mean, like, dude, Andy Serkis' delivery of I Can't Swim is just so crushing. I mean, and, and it just speaks to this idea of hope being this concept beyond logic and beyond your day-to-day life. Like, when you, when you have hope, it's, I don't know, it's something bigger than the concrete world around you. It's something bigger than not knowing how to swim. It's something bigger than the walls that surround you. It's, you know, that drives you onward. And he's not sitting there thinking, well, well I can't swim, so I'm not going to break out. You know, I don't know. Beautiful. This episode is incredible. It was incredible. This whole arc. I mean... I really hope at some at some Star Wars celebration in the future that there's an opportunity to watch these three episodes together in a theater because I can't even imagine. I would probably be crying and throwing up. As would any prison guard or warden that watches this episode. Because... <laughs> um, Double feature, uh, this and Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> um, with a little palate clean... Uh, a little palate cleaner of... Um, what is it? The longest Broken yard. The longest yard. That... <laughs> <laughs> the remake. Yeah. With Adam Sandler. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll Yeah. Well, let's just let's just stay on stay on the prison break stuff because they, they did such a good job of also hinting at it earlier in the previous two episodes. You know, he's doing that like cutting on his bathroom break. And right mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense um of what and because i did you what kind of per, when you first saw him doing that what kind of perception did you have of what was going on i sort of thought maybe he was sharpening a shiv or something i but honestly it, thought it was like clear. i thought it was to get to some like switch yeah but now it's clear they were he was trying to get the water to overload the electrical floor so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and also crazy. They, I mean, they they provide names for all these characters, but like, but I don't remember any of them. Which is yeah, Melchie, knock on the lawyer. Well, like the old guy's name is Olaf. No, there's no way I would remember that. Like the redhead guy, I don't remember I his name. I remember it. I don't even remember there being a redhead guy. He's the one that there's. The, Does he start a fight with somebody? He starts a fight. Okay, then... I think I just have a different definition of redhead. <laughs> And he's the he's like there's the the tweaking guy who's like tweaking. we're already dead we're already dead we're already dead and then the redhead like says shut up you know if we're already dead like stop acting like that and then he he's one of the fr- he's one of the people on the table I think he's the only person on the table that gets gunned down uh, most of them make it in oh like Cassian's bars. table yeah I think he's the only one that 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 uh gets gunned down but no I mean it was oh, it man, it it, sh- it shows the ineptitude of the prison system right of you know why did these people just fry them all the uh, all at the same time well it's because five thousand people and let's say let's be uh let's say there's 150 guards or something like that right these are not the best and the brightest 
you know? And... Well, and quite frankly, it also speaks to the fact that, oh, why not just fry them all? Because that's not what the prison exists for. Also, you know, there is, you know, there's like this, this, I mean, they don't even pretend in the Star Wars universe to have a fallacy of like, oh, we're here. This is for corrections. This is so that you feel bad about what you do or whatever. That's that's gone. Like, this is very clearly a prison industrial complex where there's a product that's being churned out. That And that is what this is about. And the danger element of these prisons revolting is just part of the cost of doing business. But they can't fry that whole prison. Because then their output suffers. Because at the end of the day, this is a company making those weird cogs. And that's what this is. It's a cog factory. It's nominally a prison, but it's a cog factory. And they can't fry the whole cog factory or you won't turn out any more cogs and then you'll get in trouble. Yeah, 100%. I, well, it's also, I feel like they, maybe in the mirror scenes they talk about it, like, you know, you act out of line, you're going to, you're not going to get fired. You're going to get, you know, there's going to be all of these worse consequences. So I feel like a lot of people in the Empire are also aware of what failure actually means. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think they did a great job at scale for all of this. So, like, um, Kino was on, and, and Cass were on the fifth floor. I don't know if you were looking at that map at all, but they were on the the. There's only seven floors or something like that. Seven. Right. Um. So they were like, in terms of able to get up there very quickly, it all makes perfect sense how they were able to get up there so quickly. Um. In the in the scenes, I mean, that scene where they rushed the bridge was just you know so desperate, and that's what you, yeah. you think a prison break would look like, like people randomly dying like the other athletic guy that was with cassian you know he he doesn't make it the new the in, new inmate that like you know stabs uh the guy with the electric stick and then just immediately gets shot so yeah. many people didn't make oh, it. oh yes the dude yeah the fact like the new inmate that was getting brought in that gives them the opportunity to do this in the first place and the fact that he picks up with like he's there to play like he gets it and he picks up what they're putting down. He's like, no, yes, let's do this. I just got here, but I get it. Let's go. And he's with the program, mm -hmm. but he also gets put down so quickly. And that's, a, you know, I, it's, it's not, it's kind of crappy to like lower something else so I can raise something. But I just, you know, we talked about a little bit last week and it's, is it again, it's this difference between like Enforce Awakens, which, which I love, where they blow up like seven planets. And I'm like, I, you know, whatever, I don't care. And every unnamed prisoner that got killed in this episode or gets shot, it, 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 it hit me. I felt it. It felt visceral. I felt like so upset every time one of these guys who was revolting got laid down because it's just like you have an idea of the stakes. I don't know. Oh man. Again, like it's just, you forget the characters names. Like you forget that this is star Wars. It's just, it's just its own freaking thing. It's the same as that heist where it's just, it happens to be star Wars. And that's just like icing on the cake, I guess, but it just becomes so you become so primordially involved with the stakes that the aesthetics and the trapping of it are kind of just, they are just coincidence that they're there. Well, that quote that I, I said before we started talking about the episode from Kino, there's only one way out, play it how you want, but I'm going to assume I'm already dead and take it from there. Yeah. You know, a lot of people took it to heart. And, you know, once you 
realize that and that's what i say every time that i sign in to record this podcast i just i'm like i assume i'm already dead and i'm gonna take it from there uh listeners i need you to know that our lives are not tough. and i look at and i look at our listenership and i'm like oh, yeah i am already dead <laughs> people came to my funeral get a small venue mrs colombo there's not many people coming well if only listeners came to our funerals anyway p and i are both let me just put this out there p and i are both exceedingly popular individuals um i mean we're the, we're the talk of the town we are big deals Put your ears in our on little lives. Put your ears on the streets. Yeah, and you'll see, yeah. you'll hear somebody talking about us. I mean, you put your ears on Tatooine Street. Yeah, maybe not, but you put your ears on Main yeah. Street. That's because you put your ears on Wall Street everywhere. On Wall Street, ooh, We're people don't need to know about our deal. money moves. We're a Although big I, deal. At some point, I actually do want to talk to you about FTX collapsing. Uh, and I've heard deal. of that, and I know what you mean. Um, and I'll. Okay, so you don't you don't know the context of it. Okay, I'll, I'll, off mic, off mic, off mic. Longer, I don't care. Well, um, I think a nice thing that they included in this episode is they're showing moments of Cassian's humanity still. And we know the end product from Rogue One. Like, So we saw this an episode or two ago. We saw this in the heist scene um, when he you know kills the traitor um, and then gives the ship. Um, mm-hmm. He does not kill those two um, head guards. He he would prefer to like. Yeah, which I was like, you should have killed them. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess he was taking them at their word that like once the power is off, it takes weeks to reset or whatever, which is a convenient bit of dialogue to put in there. So it's like, OK, well, they can't get it up again regardless. But yeah, me and Mrs. Colombo were both like, guys, guys, <laughs> like, you got to kill him. Which is crazy. I mean, yeah, you really do bring up a, a good point, though. Like, the fact that his whole, the whole purpose of his life in that moment hangs on whether those two guys are telling the truth and he lets them live. And then again, when we meet him in Rogue One, it's just like this poor informant who happens to maybe maybe in his wildest dreams could be a liability and he guns him down without a moment's hesitation let's talk let's switch over as you're talking about informant to the luthan scene which i would say Mm -hmm. you know these luthan scenes are really just you he's never episode but it's very boring you know he like loosely threatens mon mothma in like an episode or two it's mythologically boring but it is i find it intellectually stimulating this scene in particular this scene is this scene is gripping because it also just shows you know he this guy whose name i'm gonna attempt to find um while we're talking but they show um that oh jung lonnie jung lonnie lonnie jung who warns luthan of uh miro Right, representing investigating a rebel called Access. So Jung is, you know, the definition of a sleeper cell who's been alone for all these years. Yep, has been groomed by Luthen, and he's having second thoughts because he has a newborn child, and he thinks that Luthen cares an iota, which he one hundred percent does not. Yeah, and is willing to give up 
this one rebel cell that he knows is going to be doing something and he knows it's going to fail um, just to protect his cover. Yeah, which begs, I mean, I think we will potentially find out in these two episodes, but I mean, you and I have been doing this for a while. I feel like they've been teasing Saw Gerrera's timeline ever since he popped up in Rogue One and the disparity, because look, when he shows up in Rogue One, as far as you and I know, listeners or, or viewers at the time of 2016, right? Like you see him in Clone Wars season five and you see him in Rogue One and there's a huge disparity there. And there is very much a question mark of what happened that he is lying on a respirator and all this stuff. And then ever since then, they've interspersed through Rebels, through Andor, little, little breadcrumbs of like, well, you know, he took a knock here, he took a hit there. But we've never really gotten, I think, like the answer, the like big thing that went down that really laid him up where he is in the shape he's in in Rogue One. And I can't help but wonder, will we get that here? And will that be the result of Luthen knowing something but not doing anything about it? And then how does that color our perception of him in Rogue One? Where he is such an extremist and so unwilling to cooperate with the Rebellion. I don't know. A lot of potential here. A lot of potential here. And I guess my whole thing is with this scene is it does really bring up a kind of philosophical quandary of rebellions arguably requiring violence. And you have someone out there with like a great man syndrome who's like... I will be the lightning rod for this. I will take the moral hit. I will go to hell so you can go to heaven kind of a thing. And right. Luthen is very much possessed of this. It's, where he's it's like, his... I am going to do bad stuff. People are going to get hurt. People are going to die because of decisions I make. But because I make those decisions, other people don't have to. And other people can rebel in glory. And they will actually get the job done. Like Because... Because I go to hell, Luke Skywalker can go to heaven or whatever, right? Well, Mon Mothma is his view. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't know. Yeah. He doesn't know the ultimate shit. I mean, he says himself, he's fighting for a day he's never going to see. Yeah. He's already, I think, accepted that. And it does, it does kind of like you're looking like at that and at that scene and you're hearing his philosophy. And it's what is, is there an argument against that? And what, what does the argument against that look like? And if you're like, no, this isn't the way to do it. And I mean, I think there is an argument to, me, to be made of, no, the moral rebellion just maybe takes longer. You know, <laughs> but, but then he would maybe say, well, the rebellion that takes longer means more people suffer. I don't know. So it's, it's a very philosophic, philosophically captivating scene for sure. Yeah, definitely true. The show is well, very good. And it, it the, the, <laughs> the thing it does really well, too, is it builds on these characters and it makes you fully buy into like what their lives look like. So you can easily believe that. You can easily believe that um, Lonnie Jung has zero negotiating power and that um, he is put in this position, you know, he wants to get out and 
There's just no... He also has, like, no path that is there, which is horrifying for his newly born child. Yeah. Because, you know, it doesn't seem like there's any way that that could possibly work out for him. No. And it... I mean, again, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, but I think genre fiction and Star Wars is at its best when it sends your imagination kind of reeling. And this kind of makes me wonder about, like, what's Lonnie's path been? I mean, look, I'm not going to watch, you know, Lonnie, a Star Wars story, but I do wonder, like, it it seems, based on Luthen and his conversation, that Lonnie came into the Empire already prepared to be a sleeper agent? Yes. De- departed style. Which, like, that's fascinating and you can kind of imagine like this guy coming in all you know bright-eyed bushy-tailed full of ideals and he's like i'm a rebel and in the empire let's do this and then like you know he meets a partner he has you know he has a he has another he has a child things start to soften the older you get the more gray things maybe could become and yeah i don't know it it makes you I don't, it, it really it really flushes out the world in a very compelling way, I think. Well, and it's just doing a great job of explaining the different sleeper cells, explaining the different peoples to the cause. Like, there's a brief, like, Cinta appearance in this episode. Yeah. Where Kaz's mom is, like, sick. and Which, again, she could go blow herself up, right? We, we, we get it. Right. Um, like, well, and we're setting up, like, a, right? we're setting up, like, a Vel Cinta because there's, like, you know, conflicting views of how the rebellion works. Yeah. And not just them, you know, the view that Cassian has, the view that Melchi is presumably going to have. Oh, buddy. Um, okay. The two of them run off into the beach, uh, off into the sunset together. So I, uh, it's already too late to do this, but I, watching that episode, I had an idea for the pod where my whole take on this episode was going to be. Well, I've seen Rogue One. I know Melchi lives. So this episode had no stakes for me and it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but thing... I don't have the acting prowess to bring that take to life. <laughs> well, I, one, one, if, if I'm going to knock this episode here, here's one knock on it. Oh. Kino talks about Melchi as if he's some like great political thinker and. Is like the originator <laughs> of all of these ideas. Like, stop talking to Melchi. Ah! Yeah, Melchi. Like, Melchi wrote the cave, right? Yeah, and it's like Melchi has a personality of a potato in these episodes. Like, <laughs> like, dude, says, and it, it kills me that look. The actor who's Melchi is great. Melchi's cool or whatever. It should have been Bastan. Oh, it would have been so good. If it it should have well, been Bastan. That would have cost or more them, off. Like, that would have been like a, a tenth of their budget to like yeah. get Bastan jumping and do all that oh boy jumping bastan oh be still my beating heart yeah well it's also i mean you there's no there's only humans in that so you have to imagine it's um there's something pretty pretty brutal what they're doing to all the other all the other species yeah they're recording them turn their death cries into torture um but yeah just like kino being like you're talking to melchi too much and it's like (laughs) Okay, well, I like to think I'm something of a Melchi. Uh, Melchi hasn't said anything of note. Our most famous listener, um, Pete's mom, she says that all the time about me. I'm the Melchi. And she's like, Pete, you're listening to Josh too much. You're listening to Josh too much. Um, Don't mind me. I'm just opening a record I got in the mail. 
Oh, a Melchi record. Well, yeah. I, I, um, I mean, we could talk about like the child marriage stuff, but it's, it's. I mean, it's, it's what it is. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I mean, again, it's one of these things like Luthen's whole deal, which is like how much, how much uh, evil goes into being on the side of the angels, you know? Yeah, and also it there's a lot of scenes you know we've talked you know we talked about how it takes a bunch of episodes to start getting into this we still haven't really got to the mon mothma payout like we're no but i yeah we're you know episode after episode after episode um you know we don't know i mean presumably their paths are gonna cross uh mon mothma and cassie you think yeah interesting yeah. yeah yeah it'd be weird for them not to for her to be in this be in the show but um uh, yeah it's i mean literally it's episode 10 we right. have two episodes left and we still have like have no idea what where that mon mothma money is going yeah okay so here's all right so and then this is like an interview with tony gilroy that's that's out there this is out there these are things he said right but like if uh, you know if you don't want to know what he's saying about season two right now I guess, you know, you have our hottest takes. It'll be fine. So tune out if you don't want anything about it. But again, I, I read an interview with Tony Gilroy this week where he's saying that there's going to be like a not insignificant time jump between season one and season two. Which makes me wonder, do we see the meeting of Cassian and Mom Mothma? Probably or not. do we just kind of skip to like in the next two episodes is Luthen going to, you know, or the chickens are going to come to roost and Luthen's going to get his comeuppance and then we're going to skip to season two and we're going to have Draven like we do in Rogue One and they're going to be hanging out in Yavin. I don't know. Because that's the other thing is we've also, you and I, I think, have been doing a pretty good job of beating around the bush of pretty important information we have because we've watched Star Wars Rebels. So this is your second out where if you haven't watched Star Wars Rebels and you don't want kind of spoilers from that tune out here three two one but in rebels we see the formation of the rebel alliance and so you and i know that this is a rebellion but it's not the formal rebel alliance as we see it in rogue one and a new hope the rebel alliance doesn't exist yet and there's a reason that it's a rebel alliance it's because there are a bunch of these different cells you got your right. Saw Guerrero, you got Luthien, and eventually, as seen in Rebels, they do unite. And that union brings about the victory that they get in Rogue One, and it brings about a new hope and stuff like that. So, it, yeah, I don't know. I don't I'm, know. I'm just waiting for the time jump to happen in Season 2, and Cassian just keeps getting orders from Fulcrum, and Cassian in that voice like, Who's Fulcrum? Who's Fulcrum? I'm not listening to this. And I'm uh, Fulcrum. Turns out me. And that is my pitch for us to get Ahsoka in Andor. Um, well, with that being the case, um, I feel like we've been we've been at it for a good bet. Oh, for sure. And I mean, thank God it's your week to edit because uh, again, to remind you, our our first shot at recording did stop. So you're gonna have to gonna have to stitch those two bad boys together. Well, we got, uh, and I believe um, you can do it. We got our turkey, our turkey episode next week, and we're only two weeks. We we have two weeks, and then our turkey episode is next week. Yeah. Why? 
Because next next Wednesday is the day before Thanksgiving. No, it's not. Thanksgiving's next Thursday. What are you talking about? You're right. Wow. Okay. And that's good podcasting. <laughs> so, uh, uh podcast at gmail.com, and we will see you next week. Email this week. Gobble, gobble, gobble. I, 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 I